Constantinus Grace, I love that. I appreciate the passage that Brother Sonny shared this morning. I think in the last year, it's become my favorite, or one of my favorite passages, this, this scripture out of Colossians. Such a beautiful, beautiful passage and sums up our uh, Lord, our Christ, in such a, um, in such a clear way. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. By Christ all things consist. Beautiful. I was thinking this morning, uh, Brother Sonny said that uh, I'll be sharing about Jesus, and the thought crossed my mind, well, if I'm not sharing about Jesus, I don't have any business being up here, and I certainly don't want to be up here. Uh, wouldn't want to be up here if I wouldn't be sharing about Jesus. I'll be looking at the life of David, but it points to our Lord, our Savior, to Jesus. Before we look at a psalm, the, the, uh, the, pas the passage text is out of Psalm 57. It's called a and I hope I'm pronouncing this, correct, this correctly, a michtam, or a golden psalm. But before I look at that, I'd like to look at a passage out of Luke 9, Luke 9:57. And I've titled the message, A Heart, My Heart is Steadfast. My Heart is Steadfast, taken from one of the verses out of this psalm. Let's look at Luke 9, Verse 57, read through the end of the, of the uh, chapter there. Let's stand to read the scripture. Luke nine fifty seven, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in mine house. And Jesus said unto them, Him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. No man looking back, having put his hand on the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, plowing is not an easy task, especially if you're doing it with horses or like they do in some countries. I've seen pictures where they actually hitch up one person to the plow and the other person follows behind. Um, maybe take turns doing that. Uh, but breaking ground isn't necessarily easy. It's a lot easier now with big John Deere tractors and, or other kinds of tractors too. Uh, there are other kinds of tractors besides John Deere's. Uh, but it's, you know, it takes a lot of horsepower. It's just because the tractor's doing it doesn't mean there's not a lot of effort going into that plowing or into that turning of ground. There's a lot of energy being spent. And uh, Jesus says here, you know, no man that, that puts his hand to the plow that gets ready or enters, the, enters the, the work of the kingdom 
and, and looks back is fit for the is fit for the kingdom. My mind went to myself and, and others people that I know, uh, my own brothers and sisters in the Lord. I know that plowing, living the Christian life is, is not an easy task. It's a joyful task. It can be very joyful, can be very fulfilling, but it's uh, not often easy. Sometimes it's very, very difficult. Um, some other times we do plain a bit, so as to speak, things are easy. But uh, even in those times, um, we need to take heed lest we fall. I was reading this psalm, Psalm 57. And I'd like to look at this psalm. It, my, the uh, verse 7 of this psalm is what stood out to me. And as I studied that verse, I went back into the psalm and, and was looking at it, trying to, trying to find... Um, what brought this statement out from David? And, and that's what I'd like to look at this morning. Let's read the psalm. Psalm 57. To the chief musician set to do not destroy, amidst him of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken to the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens, and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over or be above all the earth. Now this psalm, it seems, was written when, he, when David was either in the cave at Adullam, hiding from King Saul, or else at the cave at En Gedi, See, it, uh, it's generally thought that it was probably at the cave of Adullam, though. And that's, that's taken out. The setting is out of uh, 1 Samuel 22. If you want to open your Bibles to that scripture, I'm not going to be reading all of that, but that's the background of this psalm, or seems to be the background of it. David's on the run from Saul for his life. He's living in that cave where some of his own family, it appears, has joined him along with a, a motley group of other men on the run from Saul or from foreclosures. Um, in verse 
if I can find this quickly here. I'm not finding it. But anyways, the, the men that had joined Saul here were, were people who had, yes, in verse 2, and everyone that was in distress, in, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, and everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. So he had a group of, of about 400 men here that were distressed in debt and discontented. It's kind of a, a, a not that comfortable of group, would it be? It, it would not be the sort of group that you would feel like there would be just a lot of uh, goodwill and good feelings and and everything running smoothly in. And so here's David on the run from King Saul in this cave and with this group of men. Saul is angry. He's unrestrained in his effort to catch David and, and squelch what he considers the opposition. Really not the opposition because God had anointed David to be king through Samuel. Samuel had administered that anointing. So, so David had done nothing wrong here. He had done nothing to rise up against Saul to take call Saul's kingship. If anything, Saul should have voluntarily handed it over to David. But, but uh, Saul wasn't about to do that. He, he, at this point, Saul was in open opposition to God and his will. And then Saul remonstrates his men He's, he's after David, and he remonstrates his men for secretly harboring goodwill toward David and, and for not revealing to him that his own son has, Jonathan has, um, has joined the David's cause or, or is with David. And he uses his position, Saul uses his position to coerce his men into revealing anything they know about David. Uh, he, he tells them, you know, David might be a good, or David might be a great warrior or whatever, but can David give you fields? Can he give you houses? Can he give you important positions in the kingdom? Can David do this for you? No one says a thing. Saul's men are around him and no one says a thing. Saul's under the shade tree there with his men around him. And, and finally this Edomite, uh, Doag, he, he, he speaks up and he says, you know, I saw David. I saw him with Amalek and uh, the priest and, and I saw Amalek the priest give him uh, Goliath's sword and, and give him of the holy bread and he implicated the priest Ahimelech through that and and, and uh, Saul gathers those priests to him. He arbitrarily condemns them. Ahimelech and his household. And then he, he, he goes a step further and he, he uh, commands his own soldiers to, to execute the priests there on the spot. Well, his soldiers refuse. They refuse to, to take place in killing their own priest, which makes a lot of sense. But Saul doesn't let this constrain his, his senseless rage. He, he just moves right ahead and he employs this Edomite. He outsources the killing to this Edomite to do the dirty work of, of killing Israel's own priest. 
And it says he killed that day 85 who wore the road, the robe, or 85 priests out of that family. Outsourced the killing of his own people to an Edomite, a, a mortal enemy of Israel. That's how desperate Saul was. Can you imagine? Can you understand why David was afraid? Why he felt like things were against him? He didn't have anywhere to go. He had worked hard for Saul in, in subduing the enemies. So were his enemies, you know, open to taking him in? Not hardly. Um, and now Saul's after him because he's, he wants to, he, 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 David represents a threat to him. Abiathar, the grandson of Ahimelech, he made it to, to David's camp and told him all about it. And, and David felt bad for that. And uh, he took Abiathar in, and Abiathar served as sort of an interim priest there for David. I didn't follow Abiathar's life. Don't know where he ended up later on, but he, uh, he, he worked well for David, and, and it seemed like they had a good friendship. But anyways, going back to the picture, King David elect. He's in hiding from King Saul in this cave at Adullam, whom God has dethroned already. In fact, King uh, God had been kind of uh, out of patience with Samuel for not having, for not having anointed uh, David sooner, not having uh, changed the course, this course of Israel more quickly. He chides Samuel for for lamenting for Saul for so long. So, so you see, I guess what I'm trying to point out is David had, had the, 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 where, the backing to move ahead. So he was kind of in this catch-22, we would call it. In the meantime, God gives King David, or David here, David-elect, assignments to carry out, such as protecting his people from the Philistines. And David, David's still carrying this out even with this, with this group of 400 uh, ragtag militia. Um, and Saul's moving in. It seems like only a matter of time until Saul's forces will move in and overpower him. Wanted dead or alive is uh, written on his head. And against this backdrop, was written this uh, was written this psalm, Psalm 57. Very wanted fugitive David writes this psalm from his heart. And I'd like to look through this psalm again, and just look at it verse by verse, and try to pull out of it all we can to encourage us when we're tempted to look back in our plowing. Because sometimes we can feel like we get mixed messages. Sometimes we're in a catch-22 situation. Sometimes we know what to do, and it just gets difficult. Other times we face temptation. Um, you know where you're at this morning, what your plowing involves this morning. And I believe we can all benefit from, from looking at David's experience and his testimony here. Again, in Psalm 57, 
Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who has swallowed me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. His opening statements of faith, be merciful to me, O God. Not by my merit, not by what I've done, but by your grace. Mercy, God, I, I, I pray for it. My soul trusts in you, not on my own abilities, but on your omnipotence, on your all-enablement. And the shadow of your wings is my refuge, not my self-sufficiency, but your all-sufficiency, not my own tower of protection, but your wings of safety. Your wings of safety. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how that a tower and wings are so different? A tower says you have to come to it for refuge. Uh, you look at that little chick. It moves around. And uh, if you hear that, if you hear that uh, uh, red-tailed hawk cry, you'll see those chicks running towards its mother and its mother moving towards its chicks. There's a mobile, more of a mobile sort of uh, protection or agent of protection there than, than a tower would be, although God is referred to as his strong tower as well. David refers to God that way as well. Not my own tower of protection, but your wings of safety. Wings. Jesus talked about Jerusalem talking about how he would like to take her as a hen, takes her, his, her chicks under her wings, but, but Jerusalem would not. Well, David would. He wanted to be under God's wings of protection. Until these calamities have passed by, I trust your ability to deliver me from, ev from the evil ends of the enemy. I trust in your ability to bring about your purpose in my life, no matter how large the obstacles loom. I trust you, O God, to, to bring about your will. God performs all things for me. David didn't give his own self or anyone else credit for the great things he had accomplished in his life. He could have been whining. You know, aren't I the David of whom the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands and I the ten thousands? Aren't I that David? Or how many others can boast they've killed a lion and a bear with their bare hands? And, you know, why should I be here in this old cave with these ragtag bunch of men? Why shouldn't I have a good force of able-bodied soldiers that, you know, I can really depend on? After all I've done for Israel. But he wasn't whining. He wasn't giving himself the credit. He said, God performs all things for me. God works for me. I trust in him. As a side note, when Gideon, when the angel came to Gideon and Gideon was given that assignment to fight for Israel against the Midianites, one of the first things that the angels asked Gideon to do or one of the first major things there 
was to take down that altar of Baal, destroy it, and build, rebuild a proper altar to the Lord. That's in Judges 6.25. And rebuild a proper altar for the Lord. Isaiah 42, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Then verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. The reason I believe that... uh, God asked, or the angel, obviously the, the reason he asked the angel, that he asked, the angel asked Gideon to, to take down that Baal and build a proper altar was because God wanted to receive the glory. The Lord wanted to receive the glory for the deliverance Israel was going to experience. And, and David understood this concept. He understood that if he were to be successful in his plowing assignment that he was going to have to give the glory for it to, to where it belonged. He was going to have to assign the glory to where it belonged or else God wouldn't honor him in his work. I am the Lord that is my name and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. God performs all things for me. Does that all tie together in your mind? It does in mind. God performs all things to, for me. God saying, I'm the Lord. I will not give my glory to another. And him asking Gideon to take down that Baal before he went any further. Verse 3, my help comes from heaven. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. David knew how dire was his situation. He, he, he wasn't with his head in the sand. He wasn't uh, in denial. He knew how bad was his situation. You know, he had become the darling of Israel and a much lesser man than himself with the position of king was, was doing all he could to eliminate him, to take out his life. And that's not an unusual human tactic. If you can't be the greatest, take out the ones who are, is, is a human tactic. Um, it's not a Christian tactic, but it's a human one. And, and David was on the, on the receiving end of that. Saul had become more casually uh, alienated toward David. It was first the snare. If you kill 100 Philistines, you can have my daughter hoping that the Philistines would kill David as a trap. And then, you know, trying to pin him to the wall. I don't know if I have all this sequence right with the javelin. But these are all things that Saul did. Then there was the early morning raid where he tried to catch David when he was sleeping. Um, and, and, his water, and his daughter, Michael, uh, alerted David to what was going on. And now we have this all-out military effort to capture and eliminate. David was relying on help from above. And I suppose he expected that that was the only help that would truly be of value, that could truly help him at this time. 
My soul is among the lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. He's called to rest outside his comfort zone, for sure. He's feeling vulnerable, even in the place where he's relaxing. Soul is among lions. Not a very comfortable description for company. It's not people you want to go camping with, necessarily. Soul is among lions. Men who are set on fire. Angry, unruly, and venomous men. Men you couldn't really safely turn your back to. Teeth are spears and arrows. Tongue a sharp sword. Not a picture of enjoyment, of peace. David says, I rest among these people. I'm sure Moses felt the same way, resting among his people at times, as did Caleb and Joshua. Think about it, Daniel, in a very real way, rested among lions. And then he breaks out here, he says, be exalted, O God. It seems like he's down to this point. He's balancing back and forth between his discouragement and between his enablement. And then he says, be exalted, O God. O God above the heavens, let your glory be above all the earth. I'd ask Voice of Praise to sing this song for us this morning, but I think they felt kind of sung out. So, uh, But it goes, it's such a beautiful song. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. I believe David was saying, make yourself known. Bring glory to your name. I'm just waiting for it, for your name to be glorified. Above the heavens, David's view of God was, was much greater than God's capacity to solve his problems and, and to bring him out of his distresses. Psalm 8 1 through 4. I'd like to read that psalm just to try to get a better insight into David's view. Psalm 8, verse 1 through 4. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? What is man that thou art mindful of him? I think that probably... At this time when David was feeling these distresses in such a real way, his mind was going back to that sustenance he had gotten when he was under God's cathedral as a, as a young shepherd boy, worshiping God out there with the sheep. And his mind dwelt on the much larger, the much greater uh, view of God. Than, than, the, than the little things he was facing here. There were huge things he was facing, but he was seeing God in, in more in his perspective. 
as a God who is able to do the, the great things and would be able to solve the great things, distresses that were going on in his life right there. But I, I'm, I'm impressed how he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him after all these other things that you've created, O God? Let your glory be above all the earth. May all the nations come to see your glory. May those people that are around us, I think David is saying here, come to see your glory like he, the same thought as he had when Goliath spoke against Israel. And he said, how could you speak against uh, the, the uh, I wish I could get that phrase exactly. Does someone have that? Um, how he told he told Goliath against the the, the living God. Uh, it's not come to me exact, but he's um, in David's mind. I think he's seen. He, he's wanting the, the nations around him to see that this is a living God, a true God that he's serving. He wants that glory to be to be made known and be made real. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. They've tried to take advantage of me in my distress. I believe David is saying, I'm discouraged. They've fallen into their own trap. Stop, Selah, stop, consider, contemplate, listen. It seems like here the balance tips in, in David's heart. Up to this point, he was sort of vacillating between trust in God and discouragement of the surrounding circumstances. Between verse 3 where he says, He shall send from heaven and save me. And verse 4 where he says, My soul is among lions. Do we vacillate between trust in God and, and fear of the lions? Some lines are bigger and some are smaller. Um, some rows are harder to plow and others are easier. But regardless of the size of the, the line, lines are lines and plowing is plowing. It's not all fun. It's not all easy. And it can be very discouraging. But God is always the same. His glory is above the heavens and over all the earth. It takes effort, though, and discipline on our part to recognize the glory of God. If we allow our focus to stay on the teeth and on the traps, we'll not see the glory. If we allow ourselves to focus on the lines, we're not going to see the glory of God. It's only when we allow our, put our focus, when we discipline ourselves to to look at the design that God has put out and, and to look at the deliverance of God that he's prepared for us that, that we can be encouraged to move ahead. I believe David's testimony was like this. Regardless of his physical surroundings, the cave of Adullam or En Gedi, you know, those weren't kingly dwellings, regardless of, of those. That environment 
not only was that environment not a kingly dwelling, but it wasn't even comfortable like his home was where he had left some years before to become the king's musician and then his soldier. Regardless of his ragtag group of distressed and dead and discontented men, I believe he had some true and loyal friends there. He had some family there. But he also had others there that were ready to stone him at Ziklag because things didn't go as they thought it should have, and they blamed it on David. Regardless of one misstep on his part that could be his last, regardless of you know the betrayal of, of his own people being willing to, to turn him over to King Saul, even after he had delivered them from the Philistines at another rate, regardless of those injustices he was experiencing, false accusations, lack of appreciation from his king, and all the rest, not to mention the, the insecurity, trust in God prevails in David's heart. I will praise you, O God, above the heavens. And then verse, 57, uh, verse 7 out of chapter 57, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. My heart is sure. It's rooted. It's established in God. My heart will not be moved. I'd like to read Psalm 46, uh, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. We will not be moved. We will not fear. A very God is our refuge and strength. I will sing and give praise. I will move ahead with my worship and my devotion to God regardless of all of this I will my heart will be steadfast you know that's discipline on David's part that's a desire on David's part that supersedes anything else and he says I'm going to do what I know is best I'm going to worship my heart is going to be steadfast on God it's going to stay there and then he moves into action into worship. And I get the feeling maybe David wrote this song at 3 o'clock in the morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning. Maybe he woke up, was feeling troubled with all that was going on, was wondering, how's God going to get this mess untangled? And really, what am I in this whole thing? And, you know, maybe I should just run. Maybe I should just get out of here. Leave this whole group of men, you know, till they wake up and they won't know about me and I'll be gone. <clears throat> I don't know what was coursing through his mind. Maybe he was missing his family. Maybe he was missing Michael, his rightful wife. But anyways, at some point he came to this, this uh, resolve Again, he says, my heart is steadfast on God. My heart is steadfast. 
I will sing and give praise. He says, awake my glory, awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Awake my talents of praise. That's what I think he's saying when he says, awake my glory. Awake my talents of praise. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Dawn. I will bring my instruments of praise together and I will make a joyful noise to the Lord. I will be worshiping God when the sun comes up. And my men may not be too happy with all this music that I'll be making. They might not like that I'm, that I'm waking them up at 5 o'clock with praise, but that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be praising the Lord when the sun comes up. And brothers and sisters, I trust that there are times that we do that, that we resolve no matter what's going on, when the sun comes up, I'm going to be praising the Lord. And I know for myself, when I make that resolve, when I make that a habit, that my days go so much better when my heart is steadfast in the Lord first thing in the morning. You know, not all of us have talent like David. Uh, I imagine that Pablo Yoder's uh, praise and, and King David's praise are two different, two very different kinds of praise. <clears throat> and I imagine that mine and yours may be quite different. But with the talent that God's gave us, mentally, physically, whatever, um, I think we need to, we need to be praising God at the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. I'm determined, David is saying, to give you glory among the people, to share your glory with the people. I will sing and identify you to you among the nations. My devotion and praise is singular only to you, God. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. And somehow that image of David out in the fields, looking up there to the stars and seeing the moon, cro uh, seeing the clouds cross the moon and blotted out for a bit, and then the stars, and then, you know, you've seen that, just that clear night with a few wispy clouds moving across. I just have to think of that scene when I when I read this verse. Him, your truth unto the clouds. He may have thought of something very different. I don't know, but. That is the mercy of God, reaching to heaven, his truth into the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. I trust that you're in my desire this morning, that God would be exalted above the heavens, above all that are underneath the heavens. His glory be over all the earth through whatever means through whatever talent, uh, through whatever determination, godly determination uh, that we can that we can give to Him, that His glory would be go out, and moreover that we we be praying that the glory of God would be extended well beyond whatever whatever our efforts can can take it. 
my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give you praise. God bless us with steadfast hearts today and into the future.